Lord, we will praise your name for endless days. That God, that really as we sing that song, as we think about the very words of what we sing, it should really break our hearts. It should break our hearts over our sin. It should break our hearts over our inequity. It should break our hearts over every flaw and fault, every difficulty and struggle, every burden we carry because we realize that apart from Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But God, I thank you for the good news that we get to celebrate as we really dig into your word today to think about the fact that even in the midst of our denying state, even in the, the life we live where we deny the very word of God, we deny, deny the very Messiah, the Savior by the sin in our life, we thank you for the fact that Jesus still went to the cross, carrying our burdens, carrying our sins, and the shame that comes as a result. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, we're starting a new sermon series called From Death to Life. And as you flip there, I want to encourage you with this. Uh, on the back table, uh, we have 1,200 of these. Now, you may say 1,200 we're only about 60 people. What are you thinking? All right? But here's what I'm thinking. If your dream to reach people is so small that you think that you're so insignificant that you can't invite people, then your dream or your vision of God is too small. And what I mean by that is this. 60 people being faithful to invite three to five people. There's 60 at three. Let's just figure that out. That's only 180. We ordered 1,200 of these. We're asking you to invite more than you could ever ask or imagine, all right, to see God at work. Now, that means for some of you, that's going to force you outside your comfort zone. We're asking you to pick these up. This is for Easter. The other side is for iHeart Independence. We're asking you to take these, grab them, go to your neighbors. If you don't know your neighbors, maybe it'd be just a good start to say, hey, Hi, I'm your neighbor, and I don't know you. Now, I was at a thing not too long ago that they said, name your eight closest neighbors. I could do it. I literally could. I name them. I name first name, last name. How many of you can name your eight closest neighbors? Okay, there's a few of you. Eight closest neighbors. Did you know that 90% of people in the United States cannot name five? let alone eight. And yet the Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. If you don't know your neighbor, you need to know your neighbor. So I'm going to ask you, grab these, hit 10 houses down, 10 houses across the street, and 10 houses to your left. You got it? That's a big challenge, okay? We're asking you to do something that you need to be doing anyways. This is the reality of where we're at in a world where we live in a world that says basically, hey, we're going to hit our garage door, we're going to drive into our garage, we're going to shut our garage door, and we're never going to see anybody again. All right? So Matthew chapter 26, as you turn to Matthew 26, you can stand and read with us real quick. Matthew 26, you can follow along if you don't have your Bible uh, or don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. Matthew 26, starting in verse 31, it says this, then Jesus told them, this very night you will what? You will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, somewhere deep down inside, there is somebody here who's like, I'm Peter. There is no way. Jesus just said, all of you are going to fall away, and then you got Peter. And everybody loves Peter because Peter is a great example of really where all of us are. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Verse 34, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the unlying one, the unsinful or the sinless one who literally says, wait a second, I'm going to tell you something that's truthful here. This is 100% truth. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter, in defiance, in reality, says this, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. You can have a seat. And as you do, I want to ask you this question. With Easter being a few, a few weeks away, I want to focus our attention and, and, and our focus on the events that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion and death. But I want to ask you this question. When in your life, has something been said to you, and, and it was truthful, it was something that somebody revealed to you and said, this is the way it's going to be, and you denied it. Like, no way, not going to happen. Like, the Broncos are the best team in football. And I know we got a bunch of deniers here, but truth speaks for itself. Now, we can't really go there, so I don't... They haven't been so good lately. But I believe that these events that we see here really should draw us in closer to the heart of Jesus and help us realize the beauty and majesty of God's grace and forgiveness. This really should unpack for us the reality that helps us connect to see that regardless of where you've been, regardless of the baggage you carry, regardless of how you've denied Jesus in the past, that Jesus still went to the cross for you in the midst of the fact of knowing that you were still going to walk against him, to stand against him, and even disown him, much like Peter did in the front of three other people, in the front of others as well. I believe that these events should draw us closer to that heart. But through the story of denial, all right, through the story of denial, we should begin to think of ourselves in a way that we really should. In other words, don't think of yourselves better than you ought. See, most of us look at ourselves and we're like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good. I kind of got it figured out. Even in the midst of our struggles, we're still like, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. You know, at least I got myself enough together that I'm not as rough around the edges as her. You know, at least our family isn't so jacked up that it's, you, you see what I'm saying? We begin to go down the road of denial when Jesus has laid out this idea that we're, we're going to be a certain way. We're going to deal with a certain struggle. We're going to fall because of sin in our lives. And a lot of times we just want to walk in, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be me. The story of denial really should push us to the foot of the cross. The story of Peter's denial, in reality, should fo force you to focus deep inward and say, where in my life... Do I deny denying, and where in my life do I really need to be called on the carpet by the truth of what Jesus says? 
Because denial, and the sermon series or the sermon title today is this denial and death. See, there's two stories we're going to look at over the next couple weeks before we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to look today at Peter, and next week we're going to look at Judas. Two guys who really, in reality, both denied Jesus, but ended up in different circumstances, didn't they? Peter becomes basically one of the heads of the church, starts a great movement along with uh, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples in Acts, and then Judas, who ends up killing himself as a result of his actions. Both denied Jesus. Both denied Jesus before man. But one is saved and led into a greater life that God had planned for him, and the other gives in to the temptation of thinking he is greater than he ever was and falls and commits suicide. See, there's two stories here that lead us to this. So this denial and death should lead us to life. And the same thing is we, when we look at this betrayal aspect. And so this text today literally takes place on the Mount of Olives, and they're on their way there. And on the Mount, this is where Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's also where Judas would begin to, or would, would betray the very Messiah. So they've had the Last Supper all right? Jesus said, you guys are going to deny me. There's going to be one who's going to betray me. Uh, he's even eaten here at this table. They leave the Last Supper. They go out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus has this discourse, this conversation with his disciples, all 12 of them at this point. And he literally just says, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. Now, Everybody wants to sit back and go, well, that would never be me. As a matter of fact, most of us paint ourselves in that light, don't we? We never want to put ourselves in the situation that goes on in Scripture. We're always better than those guys in Scripture. We got it more figured out. We're wiser than they were. We, I mean, heck, we've got God's Word. But the reality is also this. If you were to dig down and really get deep, my question would be this this, this week. How did you deny Jesus this week? In what way, shape, or form did you deny Jesus Christ this week? Maybe it was in front of somebody else. By not taking the chance to speak to them the truth and love of the gospel. Maybe it was just the simple thing of saying, God, I don't need you this week, so I didn't open your word, and I'm not going to spend any time in prayer. See, the very reality is this, that every day, every morning, and every week, we have a chance to deny Jesus Christ just by the simple actions that we take part in or don't take part in. And most of us, if we were to get honest with ourselves, probably denied Jesus even as much as yesterday. The beautiful story about death to life is how Jesus takes something that makes us dead and brings us to life. I've said this over and over and over again. I hope you get this out. Jesus did not die on the cross to make bad people good. Jesus died on the cross to make dead people live. 
That's the reality of the gospel, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are trapped. You have no power. You have no authority. You have no way to take care of them. There's nothing you can do. Over and over and over again, you're going to hear that throughout the gospel. When you, lay it, when you hear it read to you, when you sit in a Bible study or a small group, whenever you hear that, you're going to see over and over and over again, there is nothing you can do that's going to earn God's grace and God's forgiveness more than what he's already done. And so here's the big statement. If you remember anything else today, I want you to remember this, that, that denying Jesus is not the end. A lot of people want to stop there. Oh, well, guess what? I deny Jesus, so it's over. Denying Jesus is not the end, but rather it must lead us to repentance and to life in Jesus Christ. So denying Jesus is not the end, but it should lead us to to repentance and life in Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's the thing I want you to get. Most of us, if we go into the situation, we're going to walk into a situation where we're going to go, hey, you know what? Denying Jesus, it's over. I'm in trouble. I've, I've just denied him. But instead, denying Jesus is not the end. It's not the, the stopping point. It's, it's the reality is it's the beginning point in your life. Why? Because then it's going to lead us to repentance and to life in Christ. I hope you hear this out because what we're going to do is we're going to unpack even more down the road. So here's the question. What does Jesus see approaching on the road to the cross. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He sees some things approaching, and he warns the disciples, this is what's going to happen. Here's number one. What does Jesus see approaching on the road to the cross? Number one is this. Jesus anticipated my failures. He knew that I was going to fail. Listen again what he says. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. Hey, Grout, keep up. All right. All right, there we go. This very night, what's he say? Not you may, not you, okay, it might happen, it might come, no, you what? You will fall away on account of me. Jesus lays this out to the very 12 who walked with him day in and day out for three years. Anybody walk with Jesus for three years personally? Nope. The very 12 who you thought would have got the big picture of what Jesus is about Jesus says, you're going to, you will fall away on account of me. So lest you think you're too big for your own britches, I want to let you know your britches are really small because you're going to fail. That's why Jesus went to the cross, that you are going to fail. Jesus anticipated my failures. Have you ever been in a situation where you expected to do something, you planned on doing something, but you didn't. Like maybe you knew something was right, but at the same time you said, no, I don't need to do that. Maybe you knew there was something wrong that you shouldn't do. Maybe you were tempted by doing it and you had the chance. Remember, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God will not tempt you. He will always give you a way out. Maybe you knew you weren't supposed to do something. You were given the chance to escape and you didn't. You will all fall away on account of me. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. I know that your failures loom large. I know that you are a person who is trapped by the sin that has so easily entangled you. I know 
that you are going to fall and you're going to fall hard. See, the thing about Peter's denial is that we should all look at Peter just like we're looking at ourselves. You should put yourself in Peter's position because that's the reality of our life. We use history to learn from history. We can lose, use Peter's example to learn from Peter. But we also have to realize that if Peter denied Jesus, there's a good chance at some point I'm going to deny Jesus by my very lifestyle and actions, maybe by the words I speak, maybe by the things I do to somebody else. Those are all things. Listen, all 12, he says this, this very night you will all fall. Now we're going to focus on Peter. Why? Because Peter's kind of the braggadocious dude. He's like, Jesus, you really don't know me, obviously, because I'm your best student. I am the straight A, cream of the crop, Navy SEAL, Christian disciple, if there ever was one. You don't know who you're talking about. And Jesus is like, now no, I'm pretty sure. I, I kind of got you figured out there, buddy. I spent three years with you. Matter of fact, I think I am God. I, like, I'm all-knowing. I'm all powerful. I created you. And yet Peter's like, no, no, you don't get it. Listen, Romans 6.23 very simply says this. All have sinned and fall short. Romans 8, verses 6 and 7. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. Listen to me. All of us because we have sinned and fall short, have a sinful mind. And the mind of sinful man is death. We have to begin to understand that. So Jesus, on the road to the cross, anticipated my failures. What's the failure? That my mind runs to death. My mind runs to sin. My mind leads me into an area that I know I shouldn't go. As a matter of fact, if you were to look further on in the chapter, in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 45, or really 46, um, it later says that, or sorry, let me find it here. Dad damn it, I lost it. In verse 41, sorry, it says that the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus knew that deep down inside, our spirit may have a desire to do things, but guess what oftentimes happens? Our body is weak, why? Because our mind is weak. Because we're overwhelmed by a spirit of death because of sin. So Jesus anticipated my failures, but listen, we have to begin to understand that we all have a flesh nature, and it doesn't magically vanish when a person becomes a believer. That's what he just said. It's, it's not like your flesh is going to disappear. There is a battle between flesh and the Spirit in our life. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, when I come to Jesus, I'm going to have a battle between flesh and the Spirit. There's going to be times where I know the right thing to do, but deep down inside, I don't want to do the Spirit-filled thing. I want to do what's sinful. And you know what that's called? It's called the sin nature that you all have. You were born with. Every one of us was born with it. And so Jesus, again, on the road to the cross, anticipates our failures. Our fallen nature has a side to it that has no morals, no character, and no self-control. That's the fallen nature. And what this should do is really force us to the cross. What I say is this, that we need Jesus every day. 
You need the gospel every day, every minute of every day. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every minute of every day. Why? Because Jesus anticipated your failures. That's why he gives us the gospel. That's why he brings the good news. The bad news, you're a sinner. The bad news, sin leads to death. The bad news, your death is a given. The bad news is the bad news. The good news is that Jesus said, look, I anticipated your failures. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Number one, that is what we see. Jesus anticipates my failures. Number two, what does Jesus see approaching on the road to the cross? Number two, that Jesus affirms his victory. Listen to again what he says, all right? It says that they're all going to fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be what? Scattered. That's just... Zechariah chapter 13, that's an Old Testament text that Jesus is pulling out to say, look, here's what's going to happen. The, the shepherd is going to be struck, and as a result, the sheep are going to go wherever they want. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 50, uh, 53, starting in verse 4, I'm going to flip over there just to read a little bit to you, and I would encourage you to read through Isaiah chapter 53 over the next coming weeks. Because it talks about the suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 53, and listen to what he says. Surely he took up our affirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now listen to verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Guess what he's saying? He said, I realize your failures. I realize you're a sheep that's going to go its own way. And I realize that. And as a result, I'm going to claim my victory. And so Jesus literally affirms his victory in 31 and 32. Listen to again now what he says. After he says that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen. Matter of fact, next slide pops up there. He's literally saying this. After I have. Do you know what that is a statement? When I say I have the best recipe in the world. What am I making a claim? I have it. I own it. It's mine. It's a promised thing. It's, this is what's going to happen. And so Jesus is making a promised statement here. After I have risen, in other words, it's going to happen. No matter what goes on, I will rise again. And so he's claiming his victory. He's affirming his victory. See, the shepherds will be struck. The sheep will be scattered. But Jesus will still rise again. So what we see is when the sheep are scattered and the, sh the shepherd is struck, we see what naturally takes place. What is that? It's the failures of the sheep to run and hide. To maintain their safety. But Jesus makes the promise of his victory. After I have risen, listen to what he says. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Here's the promise. And here's what I want you to begin to see. That the victory of Jesus on the cross means that Jesus always goes before you. Always. When you're fearful of a circumstance or situation, maybe with a job or a potential move, maybe going to your neighbor to invite him to Easter, you know who's going before you? Jesus. 
the Spirit is living and active. He's moving around you. And as Jesus is going before us, he's the one that prepares the way. He's the one that works on the heart of the individual. He's the one that gives you the words to speak so that when you don't know what to say, it comes to your tongue. Jesus goes before us. Why? Not because of anything we've done, because of his resurrection. It's because he goes before us. Why? Because he's risen. He's the one that defeated sin. He's the one that defeats death. And so he goes before us in every circumstance and in every situation in our life. When I face a trial and a temptation and a struggle and I'm trying to run from it, guess who goes before you to make a way out? Jesus. Why? Because he has defeated everything that he was tried in every way. He was tempted just as we were. There was no sin in him. He goes to the cross. He bears the weight of our sins, the burden of our sins on the cross. He stays there. He dies. He stays in the grave and then he rises again. And as a result of that, he claims his victory over everything that was rightfully his. The very things he spoke into existence are now under his authority. Jesus' victory is a result of what only Jesus could do. He is the only one to carry the weight of the sins of this world. He is the only one who could go through and bear the burden of the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. He didn't deserve any of what he got. And just as we said, he was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus lays claim to the rightful victory that is his. He affirms it. So what do we see? What does Jesus see approaching on the road to the cross? Number one, he anticipated our failures. Number two, that Jesus affirms his victory. And number three is this, that Jesus knows our limits. I love how this plays out with Peter, but I want you to think about this. If we all like sheep have gone astray, then we have to begin to understand that according to Peter, Peter's standing up bragging, in certain sense, being arrogant. But I want you to think about this. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says this, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Listen to me. If you walk into this church today, if you walk into this building and you think, look, I've got it figured out. I'm not going to walk down that road. I'm never going to give in to that temptation or I'm not going to deal with it. Listen to me, pride always comes before the fall. Jesus knows your limits. He knows my limits. And I love how this story plays out in verses 33 and following. Listen, it says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, isn't this the way Jesus just works? Peter makes a definite statement, I never will. And here's what Jesus does. <laughs> never? Peter, not only are you going to deny me once, but you're going to deny me three times. Three. That's two times more than everybody else. That's two times more than Judas. Everybody loves to talk about Jews and go, man, look how bad Judas was. We'll get to that point. 
But I want you to think about this. Peter does it three times in a short amount of time. You know, they always say that it comes in threes when things happen. Well, Peter's came in threes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And a lot of times I think some of us think we're standing pretty firm and we're not prepared for the fall that we face. Peter thought he was standing firm, but he was wrong. Listen, Peter's prideful response actually shows us the reality that sin is overpowering. Listen to verse 35 again. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter's saying, look, I'm willing to die on the cross. I am willing to go to death for you. And yet Peter doesn't realize. And listen, it says this, all the other disciples did the same. So it'd be something like this. Maybe there's one here today. That Jesus would say, hey, this is what I'm telling you. And you're like, oh, I would never do that. And everybody else is like, oh, yeah, 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 I would never do that either. And that one falls and everybody goes, oh, man, look at how bad that guy is. When the reality should be, oh, man, look at how bad we all are. And how much we need Jesus. If you flip over in your Bibles, <clears throat> same chapter. Peter not only disowned Jesus, but Peter didn't even stand up for him. There's a point in time in, in, in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 59, it says this, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Now listen, here's the point of this. Guess who was in that room when that was going on? Yeah, Peter. It says, Peter followed him in a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. So he's in this room. They're, they're pulling out all kinds of people who are breathing judgment against Jesus with false, with false statements, false witnesses. And it says, finally, two men came forward and declared, listen, Peter had a chance to defend Jesus in front of everybody, and he doesn't. And then it says in verses 69 following, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him. You were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, and he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. What? Me? No. Must have been somebody else. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it this time with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus has spoken. Listen, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And here's the important thing to see with Peter. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Here's the reality. Jesus knows your limits. That means that there's nothing you can do that's going to make Jesus love you any more or any less. Because Jesus has already paid the ultimate price for each and every one of us here in descending or in, in his death on the cross. Jesus knows your limits and the fact of the matter that that's this. 
You cannot do anything to earn your salvation. As a matter of fact, you're going to screw it up. Why? Because you're going to deny God at times. You're going to deny Him by your words. You're going to deny Him by your lifestyle. You're going to deny Him by your actions. And each of us are faced with the truth of our own sin. So we know our limits. But Jesus knows our limits even more. We try to deny it. We try to look at, overlook it. We try to cover it up. But you and I know your sins. As a matter of fact, you may come in here today. You may have a, a heart and a burden be, or, or a broken heart and a burden because of things that are going on in your life. And you know that nobody else knows it. As a matter of fact, church people are pretty good at hiding things. How's everything going? Good. While we struggle with pornography. Good, while we struggle with addictions. Good, while we struggle with broken families. Good, while we don't jump into and dig into God's Word. Good, while we don't rely upon Him. Good, while we, you see what I'm saying? We, we, we're very good at presenting a false idea of being good. And Jesus knows our limits. And Jesus knows how much you are in need of Him And the beautiful thing about this whole section of Scripture is this, that in Peter's denial and in Jesus' death, we see the truth that life and life more abundantly comes as a result of not the good things that Peter did, but the good things that Jesus did. Not the promise that Jesus, I will never deny you, but simply the promise that Jesus said, I will go before you. I have arisen. The difference between Peter and Judas as we unpack this is really the attitude with which Peter responded once he realized where he was at. See, denial comes in this way. We deny our sin. We may deny Jesus Christ. We may deny his death. We may deny his, his, his death on the cross, his burial, even his resurrection. But we oftentimes are most guilty, especially if you believe in those things, by denying our sin. And listen, here's the reality. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And it says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Do you know what those words carry with that? It means there's a sorrow and a repentance. Peter was brokenhearted over his own sin. He wasn't looking at the rest of the disciples because, listen, he could have went, hey, those guys denied you too. Like a two-year-old does? Well, she did it first. We always want to justify ourselves by other people's actions. And Jesus literally is saying this, you are responsible for yourself. When was the last time, and I'll be honest with you, you, you've got to dig deep. When was the last time that you were sorrowful and repentant over your sin? When was the last time you even cried over the fact that maybe your sin was just a blatant disregard and a distrust and a denial of Jesus Christ? Listen to me, if you think that you're beyond Peter, You're not getting the bigger picture. Peter is every one of us. All of us in some way, shape, or form fit in and become Peter. Why? Because we deny Jesus. 
And so the reality is this, that we should be drawn and broken and, and, and at our knees or on our knees, begging and pleading and weeping over the sin. Why? Because that's the very thing that Jesus died for. And it's the very thing that breaks his heart. And so here's how I just very simply want to finish this, is that Peter shows that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When was the last time you denied Jesus? And when was the last time your heart was broken over your own sin? I'm not asking you to look at everybody else. I'm asking you to have the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me what it is that I need to confess, what it is that, you, that breaks your heart and should break my heart. When was the last time you wept over your sin in repentance? Because you knew, listen, that Jesus knew my failures. Jesus secured my victory with his death, burial, and resurrection. And he knew my limits, but as a result, he goes before me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray today, just as we close with this song, as we think about these words, God, that we would be broken, of our own, broken over our own sins. God, that you would reveal to us that your spirit would breathe life into us, that you would convict us of the things that we've done wrong, God, that we would confess that, that we would fall on our knees at your feet, at the foot of the cross, that we would check all our baggage and all the sins that we are carrying around, that we are hiding, and that we would be broken over it, that we would weep bitterly over it, and that, God, we would confess it in repentance, that we would acknowledge our flaws, that we would repent, and that, God, now as a result, we would experience life in Christ. God, denial is just the beginning because you have a greater picture in store. You have a grander history in store. You want to use us to spread the gospel just as you did with Peter and the other disciples who were faithful in repentance. So, God, we pray today that we would be broken over our sin. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.